please turn to Luke 12, verses 13 through 21, and please stand for the reading of God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be back. Um, how about that Laodicean problem? I uh, never thought that I would have to ask... Uh, when, when picking a date, well, what are you going to do the day before? How's that going to affect me? But I, f- I feel like this, what we're going to teach uh, unintentionally fits really nicely with what we began last Sunday, so I'm excited for that. And then how about Dave? He's a triple threat, right? So he can preach, he can do announcements, uh, he can do worship. So my goal is to see him up here leading one, one Sunday. So we're looking forward to that, Dave. Um, final announcement, but home groups are open, and uh, I, I know I'm kind of talking to the wrong crowd, but for the first time, we have, coll- we have two college home groups, which is exciting to see how our group will be growing in that way. We've had um, a couple of young adults group over the last seasons, and that has grown in number, and so I just... Just so you know, like 70% of you are connected in some kind of small group um, system, which I love because that just shows um, that we're getting involved in each other's lives. And so I just want to say congratulations to you. And I'm excited that we can take some more people and we have more people um, signing up as we speak. So uh, I picked this passage. Uh, It's one of those things where you look in the Bible and you read it and you just kind of scratch your head for a lot of years. And I kept coming back to this passage. And to me, it seemed a little disjointed. I I couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. And then he tells a a weird parable that didn't seem like he answered the question at all in the first place. And and I would misuse it. I go, oh, you know, you're you're remodeling your kitchen. Watch out. You know, that guy that Jesus killed with the bigger barns, you know. And uh, I... I didn't, you know, it's fun to weaponize the Bible from time to time. So, uh, but that's not what it it means. Um, But I I kept coming back to it and partially it was because, well, God calls this guy a fool. And if he's going to call a guy a fool, I want to make sure that I'm not called a fool. And I want to make sure that I'm on the right side of that line 
And so I dug in, and, and I will say that um, just for, for our intensive purposes, uh, Dave always shows a nice picture. And so uh, here's a nice picture of a barn. And when we're talking about barns from here on out, I, I contextualize it, it's success. It's excess. It's an abundance. It's you've done well in this life, and, and you have more than you need to cover the bills. And so uh, when, when we're talking about building bigger barns, uh, that's what I want to talk about for us. And, and for a, a time as I wrestled with this, I, I came to this understand, understanding that this is a stewardship passage. Um, I had a, a mentor once tell me, stewardship is the Christian life according to Jesus. And, and I said, what does that mean? He goes, you know, you, you, you understand the Christian life when you put this lens of stewardship on and you start reading through the scriptures and you start realizing that, that, that the scriptures just talk about this thing over and over and over again. And it's this idea that God owns everything. God owns everything and he's entrusted us. In fact, he gives us a directive to carry out, but he puts us down here and it says, I own it all, but I've given you this directive to handle it for me. In fact, uh, Garden of Eden is a great example. You have Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. He goes, look, I've put you here to manage it. So that another word for stewardship is manage. Manage and tend to this garden. Do what I've told you to do. I'm the owner and, and you work for me. Uh, there's a ton of other stewardship parables uh, where God is the master in the story and we're the servant. Uh, you know the parable of the talents or the virgins of the lampstands. You have uh, all these parables, but it comes down to, there's kind of two categories when it comes to being a steward. One is the, the good or the wise steward, and the other one is the wicked or the foolish steward. And so, in this case, we have a cautionary tale where Jesus tells a parable about a foolish steward. So, I'm going to give you kind of just the three categories, uh, verses 13 through 14. Uh, this is section one. There's a brother who's in the crowd, and he yells out. Jesus is talking to some Pharisees and Sadducees, and he's kind of just reprimanding them. And, and this brother goes, hey, Jesus... Make my brother give me my half of the inheritance. Uh, section number two, verse 15, Jesus kind of launch, launches into this typical Jesus answer where you, you go, I, I think he's answering the question, but he didn't answer the question that was being asked. He, he's doing something else. But then he says, be on guard. Watch against all kinds of greed. And so I want to take special note of that. And then he launches into the actual parable and it's a parable of a successful man with a great retirement plan, to be honest. But then God kind of just takes his life at the end of it. <laughs> and so it's a, caution it's a cautionary tale. And, and in this cautionary tale, what we understand and what we'll come to see is that Jesus is revealing a lot about our hearts. And so I want to talk about this parable. Uh, guy was rich. He would have been revered, right? It's an agrarian society. It's all farmers and, and shepherds and all that kind of stuff. And so here's a guy who's really successful. Um, and in that culture, kind of like today, if you're really successful, people look to you and go, man, he must be doing something right. And he would have been holy and wise because, man, God really loves you because you have been blessed. And so he would have had a high standing in this community. 
Uh, his decision to build bigger barns isn't a sin issue. It's not necessarily bad to build bigger barns. Um, or we can always say it's not always a sin to build bigger barns. Uh, we have examples. We have uh, Joseph built bigger barns in Genesis. Uh, during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentiful. Same situation that we see this man. And Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stores up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Maybe Joseph had a, a bigger abundance problem than, than our guy here, but he didn't, he didn't get killed. Uh, Hezekiah also built bigger barns. Uh, he, had, he had great wealth and honor, and he made treasuries for his silver and gold for his precious stones, spices, shields all kinds of valuables. He also made buildings to store the harvest of grains, new wine and olive oil, and he made stalls for various kinds of cattle and pens for the flocks. He built villages and acquired great numbers of flocks and herds, for God had given him very great riches. So it's not a sin to build bigger barns. And I would even say that this man in our parable had a, a, a biblical view of life. Uh, he probably got his retirement plan from Ecclesiastes uh, 8.15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life. God has given them under the sun. He was probably thinking, look, I could sit back, I can relax. And look, there's something about Ecclesiastes. I'm just going to eat and drink and be well. So why did God call this man a fool? But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? I mean, in this case, God did not pity the fool, you know. <laughs> he says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And in saying this, Jesus is pointing to the heart of God and something fundamental about what reality and how reality works. And this is where our story turns into a stewardship issue. So the premise, like I said, is that everything is the Lord's. Everything belongs to him, including you and me, my stuff, our time, our talents, our relationships, and our job is to handle it on God's behalf. This man was a fool because he thought he owned this stuff. He was a fool because he thought and acted like it was his. And that is why Jesus called him a fool. I think Jesus was referring to Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. This passage is interesting. It, it says that it's God who produces the wealth, not us. And then it says that there was a covenant 
And the covenant was that we were blessed to be a blessing. There's an African proverb that says, don't be a kink in God's hose, right? We're, we're supposed to be these conduits of, of blessing that flows through us. And we can experience those blessings and, and we can hold on to those blessings. But at the end of the day, God is doing something through us for others that we are supposed to be a part of and steward and pass on but not create a reservoir or a kink in, our, in the hose of blessing so that we keep it for ourselves. Uh, verse 19 talks about not following idols, which kind of lines up with verse 15 where Jesus says, watch out for every kind of greed. Because greed or covetousness is this idol and it's this thing where you go, oh, if I only had such and such. And so, in fact, I'll show you a definition of greed, because I don't think you've looked it up in the last few weeks, right? No. Uh, John Rittenhouse says, greed, ruthless, self-seeking, and an arrogant assumption that others and things exist for one's own benefit. Our man in the uh, parable was, he had an idol. Not only was he greedy, but... He actually had so much that I would say that, that he went past that idol and he, he made himself an idol because he was looking to himself and his things and he didn't need God anymore. Uh, Tim Keller, a uh, f- few of us watched this video last Saturday where Tim Keller was speaking and he goes, man, I've been a pastor for X number of years and he goes, I have people come to me all the time confessing sins. He goes, I've never had somebody come to me and confess that they are a greedy person. He goes, man, idolatry. You you know when you've committed idolatry. You know when you've lied. You know when you commit murder. And so people can go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done that. But Jesus and Paul, he goes, more than any other sin, they talk about greed. And Jesus in our parable says, or in our scripture says, watch out, be alert for all kinds of greed. And Tim says, you know why? Because it's our flesh. We all have greed. We all have the ability to house greed in our heart where we think that all the stuff around us that follows us day in and day out is about us. And so Tim says, where are you greedy? There's a reason Jesus says, watch out, be on alert. It's because he's talking to people that are greedy. And they don't know that they're greedy. And they don't don't think of themselves as greedy. But they're greedy. And so he's hitting directly into their heart. He goes, man, let's change this. Let's look at this. Let's figure this out together. Because at the end of the day, the true owner demands everything. And that's what we see in our parable. You have this guy, he's successful, and then at the end of the day, Jesus didn't, or God didn't kill this guy because he was greedy. It was just his time. But he spent his whole life living in a way that was not honoring to God. The true owner demands everything. Your life will be demanded from you. And the time that this man's life was on loan, just the time was up. So we must remember that 
He is the master. We are the worker. And we're not the owner. I want to show you just the scripture. Just look at this, how this man lives. I have the passage right here. The first thing that I notice in the parable is that there's not an ounce of thankfulness in here. There's not, there's not, man, God, thank you so much for providing this abundance. Thank you, Lord, for making me successful in this area. In fact, here's what I do see. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. I will store my surplus grains. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up. Take it easy. We see just how self-focused our man is. I, I'm gonna, I may just start calling him Leo because uh, he, he fits the Laodicean problem perfectly. Am I right? Leo the Laodicean. And so I, I pose this question, have you ever done that? I know I have. Uh, the story that comes to mind that hits just right on the head was in 2004, Jen and I got married, and we just had certain assumptions. Like, there's just cultural things that you do. There's cultural things that you do as Christians that you don't even question. And for us, the cultural thing that we hit on and we just dove in head first was, well, good Christian newlyweds, if they can, they'll buy a place because, you know, supposedly buying is, is better than renting. And so uh, we were able to buy a condo in 2004, and we, I don't remember praying about it once. It's just what you did. And, and every culture has these things, right? Like we have habits and things that we don't even question, like getting our coffee every morning. Ethiopia, uh, very poor country, everybody has a cell phone because it's just what you do, right? They don't question it, they do it. So we went into 2004, we bought a condo, I don't remember praying about it, and then two years later, we had this opportunity where some people came to us and they said, hey, um, we think you're supposed to be missionaries in, in Australia, would you go through the application process and pray about it? And we're like honored. And, and if you know my wife and I, God put Australia on our hearts like at a very young age. This was like super exciting for us. And then we quickly realized, no, it's 2006. Like we just bought a house like two years ago. We have a five-year plan where you hold on to the house and then you sell it and you buy a bigger house. And then you hold on to that house and you sell it and you buy a bigger house. And so we're like, that would be irresponsible for us to go in the mission field and sell our home. And so we politely turned them down, don't remember praying about it, because it just didn't make sense. God has a funny um, sense of humor. Had we had sold in 2006, we would have made a good amount of money from when we bought it in 2004. God proceeded in 2008 to, you guys remember that date, uh, <laughs> tank. And for 10 years, I was underwater in this house. I had to stay there. I felt chained to this place. 
and you know, God does big things on a big, massive scale. But on, on a personal scale, it was like, I'm sorry. I didn't even check in with you what you'd want me to do. <laughs> and it had dramatic effects on our lives and how we spent our time and what we did and where we went. And man, let us hear. So very positive outcome. But the process was hard. And it changes all, all to the point where, where now I get into these decisions and not every decision and I'm still working on it. But I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm stepping into this and I think you're going to guide me. And he does. And sometimes he gives me peace. Sometimes he tells me no. And, and I've been able to see him be faithful in that. Jesus warns us that stuff doesn't make life. He's, he's warning these brothers, like the accumulation that you're looking for, the things that you're looking, that's not where life is found. And he says true life is found in Jesus. And we, we know that the free gift of God is eternal life in, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and we know that Jesus says in John 1, 9 through 11, I have come they may have life and have it abundantly. So let me distill down what I think the abundant life or true life is. I think it's operating as stewards of all he's given us and asking him what we should do with it. I, I, I really honestly think that if we can go through life and we're walking with Jesus and we're like, okay, Lord, you gave me this. What do you want me to do with it? That he's going to lead us He's going to provide for us. He's going to take care of us. And he's going to empower us because he wants his kingdom to come. And he wants amazing things to happen here. And he wants the lost to be reached. He wants people to be encouraged. He wants the body of Christ to be strengthened. And so he's like, I'm for all these things. I just need you to listen to me and to walk with me. Because we forget that it's God not money that's our source of security and significance. That's just something that passes in our brain and it goes right out until we make it a discipline to remember that God is our source of everything. Do you remember the question to the, the boy, who has made me judge or arbiter between you? You know what the answer is? God. God made Jesus the judge. And so in one sense, like, this, this kid is coming, and he, he doesn't recognize what he's asking, but he's found the right guy to speak into the situation. And as, as far as an arbiter goes, Jesus is not going to be a good arbiter. Here's why. Because an arbiter needs to be fair and, and not biased, and, and Jesus is actually, that stuff's all mine. You're talking about if you should get 50% of, of this? No, it's all mine. That, it's not the answer that the boys are going to be looking for. But the truth is, is that God owns everything. And you remember what they're fire, fighting over, right? Inheritance? Well, what's inheritance? Inheritance is surplus of somebody else's life that they didn't use up or delegate out. And now it's coming to them, so it's not even theirs. But here's the M. Night Shyamalan twist that I think is happening. <laughs> They're in a small town, it's a small Jewish village. 
the scripture starts off when he starts telling this parable, a certain rich man, all the scholars go, hey, they knew he, who he was talking about. I'm going to go on a limb and say that I think he's talking about their dad. They have an inheritance. Their dad just died. They haven't even settled it yet. And what if Jesus is going, hey, you want to talk about the inheritance? Let me tell you the story about how your dad lived and died. And let me show you what he cared about. And you're asking the same question. You're running on the wrong operating system. You have your earthly father's operating system, not your heavenly father's operating system. And if I can kind of shake you up a little bit, I want you to see that there's a totally different way. Because if you don't change right now, you're going to end up just like your dad. And who gets this? Your kids. But the heavenly operating system you will recognize that your talents, your looks, your time, your stuff, your money, your relationships, your job, your family, your 401k, your barn, your house, your car, how we treat people, all flows through your Heavenly Father and His direction and what He has for you. And so don't worry about who gets what here. At the end of the day, he wants our hearts to be thankful to God, praising the Father and being stewards of everything that he's trusted. In fact, we know this because right after he tells this parable, he turns to his disciples and he just starts explaining. I'm going to highlight it for you. He says in verses 22 through 34, he goes, this is what a good steward looks like. Don't worry about your life. Your Father knows what you need. But seek his kingdom Sell your possessions, give to the poor, be generous. Store up your treasures in heaven. Now, Jesus is telling a, a cautionary tale, but I want to give you a positive view of what a good steward would look like. So I, I rewrote the parable in positive, right? Some of you work through negatives, you know, I... I had a lot of bad coaches and teachers, and I go, I'm not going to do that, you know. Uh, but so, some of us need a positive. So here's the kingdom way. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll pray to God to see what he would have me do with the surplus grain. Praise God. I'll say to myself, I'll do with the grain, whatever my Lord has me do, for these are really his crops. Thank you, Lord. God said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. This is how it will be with whoever is rich towards God. This is a message about stewardship and dependence. Nothing is ours. I recognize my need for Jesus when I read this scripture. I recognize that I need his calling in my life. And I recognize that I need to stop asking the question, how can I be rich? And I need to start asking the question, how can I be rich towards God? 
Because those who are rich towards God get everything according to Scripture. And so I'm living like this right now, my hands up, rethinking everything, how I spend my time, my money, my schedule, my priorities, my habits, my money. All of it is on the table. And I know that if you're probably sitting there, it, this might take some time to unpack, especially if you've been given a lot of stuff. It's like there's a lot of things to inventory. There's a lot of questions to ask the Lord. It's going to take a lot of time and energy. But I wanted to share just one last example. And it's an example of how somebody's rich towards God that has absolutely nothing. Uh, there's a man named David. Uh, he's a refugee in a Muslim country in Africa. He was arrested for being a Christian, and he served four years in prison, where they took away his shoes, and they gave him one, one pair of clothes. And they chained him up at night, but during the day, they made him go out and work in fields and do manual labor. After four, year, four years, he got out and became a pastor of a refugee church. And he just always thought, Generosity is something that I'm to be a recipient of because I'm poor and I have nothing. I'm a refugee. And so I, I just received that blessing. But then he got challenged by Scripture, and Scripture said, no, you've got to be rich towards God. Generosity is a huge deal, and, and you need to figure out what you have. And so he gathered his family together, and they said, we don't have anything, but I do have an extra shirt. And so they, they, they cobbled together just an outfit, and they knew a, a, a prison ministry lead, and so they went to that prison ministry lead, and he goes, hey, do you think somebody in the prison would, would need these clothes? And he goes, absolutely, and, and they gave it away. Well, they found joy in meeting that need, and they realized they actually could be rich towards God. And so they came back, and as a pastor, he shared with his congregation, and the congregation was so encouraged, this refugee church cobbled together their clothes, and now they had, I don't know, a dozen outfits or so. And they took it to the prison, and they passed them out. And the, now there was joy in the prison because they're like, oh, now we can get rid of these raggedy, filthy clothes. And one of the prisoners goes, hey, these are great. We don't have shoes. Do you think your church could come up with some shoes? And the guy being in prison and just remembering how rock hard his feet were and what it was like to work out in the fields every day goes, we will find you some shoes. How many shoes do you need? And they go, we need 117 pairs. And that was, that's a lot of shoes. That's a lot of shoes for a, a refugee church. And they came back and they did a drive. And wouldn't you know it, God brought together 117 pairs of shoes through this community. And they were able to distribute them out. And I don't, this is the story. I, there's a video. I put it on, on Facebook so you can watch it. I don't know how the sizes worked. I don't know. You know, <laughs> look, I arch support, nothing. I, I, don't, I don't know. But that's the story and I'm sticking to it. But God met everyone's need, and everyone rejoiced. And so I just want to remind you, be rich towards God. Ask yourselves the question, how can I be more rich towards God? Or in another way, 
How can you be spirit-led? How can you follow him in everything, listening to his guiding voice? Whether it's going and talking to somebody, sharing your time, your valuable time, or your valuable money with somebody, how we work, how we treat people. But we want to seek his glory. And there's no formula in this, but it's just allowing us to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? God, I love your wisdom and stories. Thank you for the reminder this morning. God, it's all yours. I, I want to confess in front of everyone that it is all yours. But we want to give it back to you. Lord, help us give back to you what is already yours. Lord Jesus, empower us and move us and give us creative insight from your spirit on just what it looks like to be rich towards you, God, as we can... We only now have the opportunity to store up treasures in heaven before we get there, Lord. So can we just send stuff on ahead? And can you partner with us in that? And can you lead us in that, Lord Jesus? And help us uh, just look at this greed issue that's been brought up. That, how do we watch out for that, Lord? How do we, how do we be honest with ourselves, Lord? I, I pray that you show us that as well. Lord, we love you. And may we just sing praises to you right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.